Hey, everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. This week on Member Week, we're trying to lift the hood a little bit and give you some kind of inside glance at how things work. And I wanted our members and hopefully future potential members to see and understand a little bit of how we do some of our fundraising. Obviously, membership is a big part of our funding stream. It's 40% of our revenue historically has come from people who give on average $59 a year. It's it's $5 a month. That's our typical member. And, and it's such a huge part of what we do. But as we've grown, we've started to take on these larger projects. We started to look at ways that we can accelerate and expand the Strong Towns movement through some some larger initiatives. And I want to talk about one of those today. But before we do that, I want to introduce you to someone who started here about a year ago. Grace, I think you started in December of last year. So you're almost to the one-year anniversary. Yeah, it's been a year already. So Grace Waitley, <laughs> I don't think you've ever been on the podcast before, have you? Welcome. I have not. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Hey, it's really nice. I I get to chat with Grace all the time. All of you do not get to hear from her, but I, I it's one of these behind the scenes things that when I was thinking through what I wanted to do this week, I wanted to chat with you. First of all, tell us where you live and where you come from. I think people might find that a little bit interesting. I'm currently in East Texas out in Jefferson, which is about an hour and a half away from Tyler or a couple hours from Dallas. I was going to say, you're not saying anything, anybody. You, you, are, you have positioned yourself in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Yes. Jefferson is population 2000. So yeah, it's pretty isolated. It's, it's a pretty, pretty rural place. I'm out here in the swamp. It's very nice. I like it there. I mean, I've given some talks in communities near you. And of course, you're a couple hours from Shreveport too, right? I'm only I'm actually only 40 or 45 minutes from Shreveport. So that okay. that might be the easiest way um, for people to imagine where I'm at, uh, right on the Texas border. But I originally hail from Massachusetts. Right. You endured your first Texas summer, right? Yeah, made it. Barely made mm-hmm. it. All right. You're from Massachusetts, but when we found you, that's not where you were. Right. I had been in uh, in Utah for four years working in small nonprofits in a town of 1,000 out in the high desert in a very uh, remote town of Green River, Utah. We empathized early on over the the cool weather. And when you started, the first thing you did was move to Texas. I remember thinking, oh, that's that's very interesting going from my cold weather compadre to uh, someone who's now going to experience the summer heat. Are you missing the winter? I mean, this this is like Minnesota talk now because this is we obsess over weather and the changing of the seasons. Are you are you anxious or missing winters thus far? It has its pros and cons. So my first Texas winter was really all over the map. It wasn't as bad as, you know, a couple of years ago, Texas got that huge storm and all those power outages. It was not as severe as that at all, but it was more, I don't know why this surprised me, but it was more like cold rain than I expected. (laughs) And I almost would rather have snow than pouring rain when it's 40 degrees and windy can be a little bit unpalatable. I guess There's something about humid cold. I mean, it's funny because 
you know, the whole thing about, cause you were really in the desert in Utah, right? I mean. Yeah. And the, the thing about the high desert is that the temperature fluctuations are really the thing. So like, yeah, I, I got a lot of that cold weather, like single digit temperatures in the winter, but in the summer, it would also be like three digits for two months. <laughs> so it, we got, I got the full spectrum in Utah. I don't know if it's a joke there, but certainly up here, we always kind of laugh like, oh, Arizona. Yeah, it's a dry heat. haha, ha, you know, but the reality is, is it works the other way and cold really severely. If you have a dry cold, I mean, if it's, if it's 10 degrees or below zero, but it's, there's no humidity, it's way easier, I think, than like 40 degrees and, and chilly, you know, humid, right? Yeah, it's um I mean it has it has different factors too. Like the dry cold would just at a certain temperature, it's like you're outside for like an hour and your skin on your hands is like cracking. I use way less lotion now than I did in Utah in the winter, especially, but the colder temperatures and the humidity definitely feel a little bit more severe. All right. This has been weather talk from Strong Towns. <laughs> you and I are very good at that. <laughs> we are. I think we could do this all day. I wanted you to come on and talk about the Crash Analysis Studio. And I want you to talk about the part that you worked on. And uh, let me, just for people who have not heard about the Crash Analysis Studio, we've been, we've been talking about this on the website a little bit, maybe less so on the the uh, the podcast here, although it's it's come up a few times. The idea that crashes, automobile crashes today are typically analyzed in, in terms of assigning blame. Who, who is to blame for this crash? When there's a crash, the insurance companies go out, the police go out. And a, a big part of the analysis is who amongst the drivers screwed up. And if we're going to be really advanced, uh, there might be some legislation on seat belts or airbags. We might mandate that that manufacturers do some things. We may, from an engineering standpoint, say, well, if we just widen out this lane or put in this crash you know, guide rail or what have you. Um, but it's all about adding armor and padding so that when drivers screw up and make mistakes, they're less consequential. There really is no analysis. There really is no process to actually do a self-reflection and to look and say, all right, what were the multiple contributing factors to this crash? Sure, the driver might have made a mistake, but what lulled the driver into making that mistake or what gave them the impression that they could do what they did or what you know, made that mistake compounded in terms of the design and the way we've approached this? This was the kind of the hypothesis that I came to you with. And I said, I would like to launch a crash analysis studio, a a thing we would do very publicly online that would kind of be inspired by the medical profession and their mortality and morbidity clinic, go through and analyze crashes with an eye towards not who do we blame, but what can we learn? What can we learn and what can we improve about the process? And I kind of dumped this in your lap and said, here, Grace, find us some money to do this. <laughs> and I, I gave you a rather large number too and said, let's figure this out. I, I think for a lot of people who just see uh, the magic on the outside and don't really understand like how things work internally, it might be interesting for them to hear how we went about doing this. So first of all, how crazy did you think I was when I dropped this in your lap? And uh what, what, what were some of the first things that we uh, explored when we were thinking about 
this rather large project that we're going to take on. It made sense to me when you first started talking about it, but I think the first thing that we did was like we had a meeting and you had you had as with a lot of things strong towns I think it was like it was all living in your head and we had a, a Zoom meeting and you just basically did a brain dump on me. I remember and that. Gave me like everything that you were thinking and just like living inside your brain this whole time and I asked you a bunch of questions like okay, how do we make this into like a a narrative that we can essentially like sell people on? <laughs> So that was the first step. And I remember then- apologizing profusely because I'm like, there's just so much that is like filtering. Yeah. Yeah. But you were awesome. I mean, you asked really good questions and I feel like we took it. So keep going. Yeah. And then I, I just kind of ran with all that. And I think we started basically with um, a write-up that we could then tool into different proposals. Like every, every organization, when you submit a grant request or um, a letter of interest, like requires different things. So it's helpful to have a base document to start with and just kind of pull, pull points from and just kind of go from there. So we did, we put that together. Um, and then we started looking at like every possible organization that could fund it. <laughs> As my partner in this, you had a lot of questions that clarified my thinking. And I remember when we kind of brainstorm a list of not just potential funders, but but also potential organizations that would be partners in this, like adjacent to it. Maybe people who weren't going to have money, but would have expertise or have networks or contacts or, or people who could help us think this through. You scheduled some of these meetings. And I remember we talked about putting together what we call the pitch deck internally, you know, it's not a Silicon Valley pitch deck, but it was our pitch deck. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's uh, the program that we're trying to put together. And I remember sitting down and doing that for you for the first time and thinking, oh, this is a total train wreck, but you were super encouraging and you're like, oh, that was very helpful. And I feel like it got better over time, right? As we met with more and more groups, what was that process like from, I think that initial train wreck to what we yeah. do now. No, I I really don't think the initial the initial pitch was that bad, but it it just kind of looked like we started with that and then we sent like a million emails out to people like, "Hey, do you have like 30 minutes to chat about this? We think this is a really exciting thing that no one else is really doing, you know, like this is something that could really change things. And um, people were nice enough to email us back and agree to sit down and talk to us. The more we ran through it, the smoother it got, I think. And um, it, it definitely helped that people were so responsive and excited about it. When you started here, I felt like I was like being very honest with you, but I also felt like this is one of those things that I'm going to sound like I'm BSing you, like you're going to have to experience for yourself. But I remember telling you that when we go out and talk to people, the reaction that we always get is enthusiasm and excitement for what we're doing, but we've never really had the capacity or the the wherewithal or really the um, the mindset of being able to turn those things into a grant request or a project uh, or what have you. I guess at this point, I was not lying, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The craziest thing was that like people that we had never like recalled having 
any sort of contact with, we got on the Zoom call and they were like, oh my God, I've read your book. Like we're like huge fans of Strong Towns. Like we already know who you are and what you do. And I think just like experiencing that probably five or six times in the course of of meeting with different folks from organizations, it was just kind of crazy and um, really encouraging and energizing. It was fun to watch your face because, you know, we would get off these, these uh, meetings with people and you would say, wow, they, they love us. We like never have met them before. And I'm like, yeah, that's the, that's the experience we get a lot. Like people like, really yeah, that happens all the time. <laughs> happens all the time. And I'm just like, so grateful to have you here that we can actually follow up on some of these things. So I think it's important to say, it's not always just love. How many like rejections did we get? A, a dozen of like <laughs> yeah i i don't know it wasn't a lot it's tough to say because we had a couple of like flat out rejections like no we can't we we don't have the capacity at this time or you don't fall within our um our geographical range in which we fund projects or or just like a no response um <laughs> which we consider a we got ghosted rejection. quite a few times yeah. Right. yeah yeah a lot of ghosting uh-huh. right but i think that a lot of them kind of turned into this connection where like maybe we thought going into it oh maybe they could provide us with a grant and then it turned into like oh this person would be a great podcast guest or a great expert to have on one of our panels for an episode so I think that I wouldn't consider those total losses because we did still get some some sort of resource out of them. Right. I do feel like we made a lot of connections that I just otherwise wouldn't have made if we weren't pursuing this. I want to tell people that we have the Crash Analysis Studio funded for the most part now. We at least have a path towards having the whole thing funded. And a big part of that was not only your efforts, but just... I feel like being ready when the opportunity walk through the door. Do you want to describe this? Do you want me to describe this? I feel like people would be more interested to hear from you. And I know I know that the donation we got is, for all practical purposes, anonymous. So we can't really divulge who or what or how this whole thing went down specifically. But why don't you walk us through a little bit about what happened? Yeah. So like how, how events played out from my perspective. Um, one day I was just, you know, working as usual, sitting at my desk. I see this email from the amazing office assistant at Strong Towns, Krista. And she had forwarded me this message that we received from this person that had never donated before, never really engaged with us before. And he was saying, oh, I work for this company and we're interested in making a large donation. And that was actually what it said. <laughs> no, yeah, it was a very brief message. Like, here's the company I work for. We want to give you money. Um, you know, I, I, can I set up a meeting? Or it might not have even said that much. I dug into the company a little bit. I was like, I think this is real. I think this looks legit or enough to like justify a 30-minute meeting. I said, Chuck, do you have time to meet with this guy? It might pan out to something. And you said, yeah, why not? <laughs> So we set it up and lo and behold, they actually wanted to give us a lot of money. And we were, thanks to all the work that we'd done, we were totally ready to pitch the Crash Analysis Studio to them as a project that was well worth funding. Right. Um, Where we we actually had some funding in place. We had some base support from our members and our friends of Strong Towns, and we were able to turn to them. I feel like going through that process, I mean, they, they asked us three questions. Question number one was, what is your theory of change? 
Question number two was, what success have you seen? And then question number three is, what would you do with a significant donation? And, you know, the first two were ones that I was able to answer before you got here, right? Like those were questions that, you know, the 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 board of Strong Downs has helped think through a theory of change. We have seen a lot of success from that. Um, but then the idea of being able to turn around and say, here's this thing that Grace and I developed that we're struggling to get funded. And of course, the question that came back to us is, why are you struggling to get funded? And I'm like, because it oversets, it, it upsets the entire status quo. And everybody who we're talking to is tied into the status quo in one way. And so it's really an outsider kind of thing that that is going to shake things up. And they said, that is exactly what we want to do. It was just very exciting. In terms of our member week, I want to point out a couple of things. You're here because we've grown our membership enough to be able to support having you here. But the fact that you're here has allowed us to now actually make these larger, more impactful asks of people that we were just never in a position to do before. If someone had asked me this a year ago, you know, before you started, I would have been able to answer the first two questions. But the third one, I might have had some idea, but I probably would have been winging it. I would not have had a really thorough, well-developed answer that was already partially funded by our members that you know has a full plan to implement and all this. And that was the capacity that having you here was able to give us. And I feel like it was utterly transformational. I'll stop there. I don't know if you Absolutely. want to. Jump in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I'm I'm totally on the excitement train too. <laughs> and just yeah, really really grateful to be here and really um especially grateful to to come on board at such a pivotal time within Strong Towns because I just feel like there's only untapped potential. Um and there's just so much of it and I've I've known that from from the day that I joined the team but it's kind of crazy that I've only been here a year and we're already like, you know, we've, we've already really got the ball rolling on a lot of this stuff. So it's very true. We're excited. I get a little bit freaked out because, you know, our, our model for growing this movement and for seeing the change that we want to see has always been member focused. And to the point where we actually, in the early days of strong towns, I mean, back in 2014, we gave up a, a grant that was equal to the entire funding for our organization that year. It was a $120,000 grant. And we, we gave, we, we said, we're not going to take it because it was a distraction from our content based theory of change. It's interesting now. And I I've, I've always felt this tension about grants and donations and, and that type of thing, that it would be a distraction from our mission I know you've been doing development work for a, a while, and I, I know you've seen other nonprofits where when they, um, how do I say this in a nice way? They start to change who they are in order to attract the money, right? Like there's a grant for this, so all of a sudden we're about this. Can you, and you and I have not prepped this, but I, I want to describe to our members specifically what our relationship is with large grants and our relationship is with with major donors and people who would walk in the door and say, I want to help you. How does our approach kind of contrast with you know, that idea of going and changing our organization to be what the grant people want us to be? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that happens 
especially with small nonprofits, because there's always such a struggle for funding. Um, and so it's kind of like they fall into a trap of like, well, we need to keep all our staff members, we need to function. So we do kind of have to like shape shift into the funding that's available. But I think that we're in a amazing position just because of that membership base that we have. And like, that is, that is our operating support essentially. And we've made our mission so clear that we have the ability to take money for what we're already doing <laughs> and people want to give us money to do what we're already doing that. And like the, because we are able to do so many events around the country, we just have such a diverse revenue stream and it's very sustainable and it makes me feel good as an employee, but also it makes me feel good about, you know, like the membership support that we're getting. Right. It's always been, and I, I feel like my message to you has always been, let's find people who are good fits for us, not just find money for the organization. Um, and a good fit is something that will we'll not only build on what we've done with our membership base so far, but will help us build our, our membership base. We want to get members involved in the crash analysis studio. We want to get them involved with helping us identify good crashes, helping us uh, with the analysis, gather information. It's that membership base that when we're talking to someone who says, hey, we would like to give you a lot of money, or we're meeting with a foundation for the first time, when we can tell them, yeah, we have 3,500 members, they contribute 40% of our budget. They're helping us with all this. They, we have you know, over 100 now local conversations around the country, places that are, are out doing stuff, magnifying this message. All of a sudden, they recognize that we're not coming to them saying, hey, we need money from you or we're going to go away. We're saying to them, hey, we could use some money from you to help accelerate all this stuff that's already going on. And yeah, I just feel like that puts us in this really powerful position that not many not many nonprofits are, are in. Right. And it's not only like accelerating what we're doing in our mission, but it's amplifying our message and allowing us to reach more people and more new supporters, which then contribute to that stability even more, um, um, which is, that's really cool. Yeah. Grace, thank you for taking the time. It's so nice to, I mean, you and I get to chat pretty regularly, but it's always thrilling for me when I can have other people on the team be on the podcast because I get to work with this amazing group of people, but our members and, and the people who listen don't get to hear from you. As I, I get all these accolades like, oh, Chuck, you're awesome. And I'm like, yeah, but you, <laughs> there's all these people here who make it all happen. And uh, I'm just really thrilled that you decided to come work with us and are part of the team. And thank you. Yeah, what an incredible first year to have had. And uh, thank you for inviting me on this. It's been fun. It's hard to believe it's only been a year because I really do feel like <laughs> I can't remember what life was like before having you around. So thank you, <laughs> That's Grace. the highest compliment. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, we haven't even talked about the Crash Analysis Studio was one initiative that we were rolling out. We have many more like in the hopper that we're going to start working on now that this one is is got a good funding track. I can't wait to talk about what those are going to be and have you and I kind of work on work on finding the next partner for those. That's what I'm thrilled about. Yeah, who knows where we'll be a year from now. Who knows. I have an idea of where we'll be. It'll be pretty awesome. 
<laughs> All right. Thanks, Grace. And Thank everybody you. out there, members, keep doing what you can to build a strong town. And together, we're just going to keep getting stronger. Take care, everybody. If what I am is what's in me, then I'll stay strong. That's who I'll be. And I will always be the best me that I can be. There's only one me, I admit. Have a dream, I'll follow it. It's up to me to try. Keep getting stronger And nothing's gonna bring me down Never gonna stop, gotta go Because I know I'll keep getting stronger